praise God that he has shattered our darkness and lifted our shame if we believe in Jesus. Locate in your Bibles this morning the Gospel according to Matthew in the first chapter, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing on this message and then we will... um, worshipfully preach and listen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that in your mercy and grace you would be with me um, in the power of the Holy Spirit that I would proclaim the truth about Jesus. I would point people simply and solely to Jesus Christ and his power to save. That we would leave this place, yes, with our, our, our spirits elevated and encouraged raised from the the, the gutter of our lives to, to see your glory in Jesus Christ and to exalt him and to be united to him. I pray, Lord God, for those who do not know the joy of Jesus Christ, who do not have assurance of salvation or peace with you. I pray, Lord, that you would cause them to see the beauty of Christ, cause them to see the excellency of Christ that they might trust in Him. Lord, we pray that You would be with us and help us in all ways. Attune our hearts to Your grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Over previous weeks, I've had the great joy of telling the stories of five men whose births were announced uh, to one or both of their parents beforehand by angelic or divine visitation. These annunciation narratives inevitably point us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so not a week has gone by uh, in that series. As I hope you could say, not a week has gone by in any sermon that I've preached Uh, where you have not been pointed to Jesus Christ because that's what we're all about. Um, That's who we we trust. That's why we are here today. We saw that Abram and Hagar shouldn't have a child because it was God's plan that the promised son come through Sarah. And Abram was not married to Hagar and he shouldn't be with her in that way. Abram and Hagar shouldn't have a child. We saw that Abraham and Sarah couldn't have a child. They were too old. She was barren. They could not have a child. Manoah and his wife, they could not have a child. And uh, though they were getting old, they weren't quite as old as Abraham and Sarah, yet nonetheless they realized it's not going to happen. Manoah and his wife could not have a child. David and Bathsheba should not have a child because at first they weren't even married. Bathsheba was the one wife of one man, and that one man was not David. And David had many wives. They should not have a child between them. And then last week we saw that Zechariah and Elizabeth, 
Again, a common theme, they couldn't have a child. Elizabeth was barren. They were both advanced in years. Now, of course, the stories that we've seen over the past several weeks are more detailed and complex than that. If you weren't here or you weren't listening, you can um, go and listen to those sermons on YouTube or on the, um, the podcast. The stories are characterized on the one hand by the problem of immorality and on the other hand by the pain of infertility. But we, we've seen how God brings something even out of sin, how He brings blessing out of brokenness, and how He shows His sovereignty over biological impossibility. The births of Ishmael and Isaac and Samson and Solomon and John took place in that way. But read verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. When we read verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It comes at the heels of a, a, a genealogical uh, record of the parentage of Joseph. We have in that story many names that represent colorful stories in their own right. Some years ago I, I preached through that uh, genealogy, and one of these days would like to do so again. Two names that stand out that we have seen in recent weeks, Abraham and David. Indeed, Jesus is identified in verse 1 as the son of David, the son of Abraham. So to reverse the chronology, Abraham, David... Jesus, Abraham, the one to whom the promise was made, in you shall all the nations be blessed. In your offspring shall all the nations find their blessing. David, the one to whom it was said, your son will be given a throne and he shall reign forever and ever. 
the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and all of that seems legit. You then read the following verses, and again, there's some very messy stories that are represented, and uh, certain names serve the purposes of underscoring how unconventional Jesus' heritage was, even though He is the Son of the promise, even though He brings good news of great joy, which is for all the people. The story is littered with problems. And then we get to verse 18 and we think, surely the Christ will have a bit of a different story from the kings of old that preceded Him. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, and immediately we're hit with a problem. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child. From the Holy Spirit, it says, but Joseph didn't know that. All that Joseph knows is that the woman he's supposed to be marrying has a child. And she's, it seems sensible that she's probably kept it hidden that she's probably not like let to explain until it, it got to the point where it couldn't be hidden anymore. She's with child. She says it's with it's, the Holy Spirit is the the Father, and, and that just doesn't. I mean, doesn't really seem to comport with the way things normally work. That just is scandalous. The whole idea, in fact, is it's not just scandalous, but there's even an element of, of, of blasphemy almost to the Jewish mind. Child with the Holy Spirit? Mary and Joseph put them next to those couples that we named earlier, those who couldn't have a child and those who shouldn't have a child. Mary and Joseph shouldn't have a child because they weren't married. And they couldn't have a child because they were sexually moral, chaste, and pure. They approached sex and childbearing within the boundaries of God's design and law and within the boundaries of Jewish betrothal culture. So uh, Joseph knows, this isn't my child. Mary knows, there is a child inside of me, but an angel told me that this is of the Holy Spirit. She tells Joseph, I have a child that's of the Holy Spirit, and Joseph is like, I'm not so sure about this. It's a problem. Joseph knew the child was not his. Why? Because again, Joseph was committed to moral purity, to chastity, to abstinence from sex before marriage. Why? Because that's how God made things. That's the design that God, that God gave. He created a man. And then he created a woman, and he brought them together in marriage. And all throughout the Bible, you have people messing about like that's not the case. But God intends that people get married. That they enjoy sexual intimacy in that context. And that they have children, should it be his will. Joseph knows the child's not his, so that leaves only one option, and Mary's story doesn't fly. The child was someone else's. 
In which case, we have two options. Mary had either been assaulted, but she's not acting like... Or is she? Maybe she is. She's not acting like a victim, nor claiming to be. I say she's not acting like a victim, but it's more complicated than that because you do have some people who go great periods of time not acting like a victim when in fact they are. Joseph's having to, to ponder all of this, to, to assess, has she been assaulted? Is she the victim of a horrible rape? Or has she been unfaithful? Sex outside of marriage was rightly treated with great seriousness. But legally, what we have here was not even a case of fornication, but of adultery. And that might be missed on us culturally. They were betrothed. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. Betrothal was a commercial legal arrangement. It was much stronger than um, uh, contemporary forms of engagement that we are familiar with. Engagement can be broken. An engagement is not legally binding. You don't have to go through uh, legal processes to terminate an engagement. Perhaps what we have here is more like uh, what we see in some cultures where there is a separation between the civil wedding and the, the um, uh, church wedding, the spiritual wedding. And the, the civil ceremony, and I know my wife and I know all about that. That's how we did things. That's how we had to do things. Many countries, there's no other option for, for Baptist Christians, in fact. Um, but you have, uh, uh, in our context, months between the two. So, in that time, it would have been as if she had chosen, I'm not going to marry Ryan. Or I had chosen, I'm not going to marry Ileana. There are legal processes to annul the marriage. We've not come together. Are we following? We've not come together. But there is a legal document that says we are husband and wife. We've not had a church wedding yet. We've not um, made vows before God and man um, in a church context or anything like that yet. Legally, we are married. But that could be called off. That could be annulled. The marriage is not consummated. So, so that's what we're dealing with here. So it's a, a, a very serious thing. They are betrothed. It's a legal arrangement, stronger than engagement. It was considered as binding as marriage. When a man died before the wedding ceremony and marriage consummation, his betrothed was considered a widow. If some wrong had been committed, betrothal was terminated only by divorce. It's not just as simple as, you know, oh, just going to go our separate ways. There has to be a divorce. Joseph and Mary are betrothed. 
They're committed to one another. There's legal documentation that says that they are together, but they've not come together because the space normally was between nine months and a year, and that gave the, um, the betrothed man time to go off and build a house for his family. He would go off, he would build a house, he would make ready, they would have the preparations for the marriage party and all of that good stuff. Nine months to a year. Then they have the religious celebrations, the family party, and then they move in with each other. There's a problem. Mary is pregnant. It means she's either been assaulted or she's adulterous. The only solution is either just deal with it, grin and bear it, or divorce her. Which leads to the second thing that we see in the text. We, we, we have a problem, but then we have a plan. Verse 19, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And you must first notice that Joseph was a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. Not a just man so unwilling to put her to shame. Do we see the distinction? He's a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. Not a just man so unwilling to put her to shame. It's an important distinction that indicates an unwillingness to put her to shame, which is a balance to his justness and not necessarily a part of it. At least not a part of justice in a retributive sense. Justice recognizes the seriousness of a wrongdoing. Justice recognizes the necessity of consequences and the reality of them. Even if one would like to prevent them, stuff has to happen sometimes. Liaisons outside the uh, betrothal covenant were considered adultery, as we've established, which was universally condemned at the time and should be still today. In the Old Testament law, do you remember what the penalty for adultery was? Well, stoning. Death. It was a death penalty for adultery. In parts of the world, there still is, even if not entirely implemented. Under the, the rule of Rome, that penalty, the death penalty for adultery, could only be arrived at through the Roman courts and would not be arrived at through the Roman courts because that's not the way the Romans did things. So the alternative was mob justice whereby a local Jewish court would rule and people would take matters into their own hands in defiance of imperial Rome's processes. But they were very unlikely to do that because that would result in massacre in all probability. A lot more death than it was worth. So by this point, the relevant legal systems, Jewish law, Greek law, and Roman law, were by and large united in saying the right solution to this kind of problem was divorce. The just consequence of adultery was divorce. In fact, Jewish, Greek, and Roman laws did not just suggest divorce. In fact, they demanded divorce where adultery was proven. Jewish law at the time demanded that it be done immediately upon discovery. So Joseph doesn't have much time to lose. 
Mary is pregnant and it's not his baby. So he's thinking, you know, I have to act now. I don't have a lot of time because if I do not act immediately, then I'm in trouble. I'm bringing shame on my family, dishonor on the covenant. All sorts of things are wrong about me. I'm, I become marginalized. In fact, if you were to go into Roman law, you would see that beyond the Jewish understanding that failure to divorce immediately was weakness, Roman law went so far as to suspect a man who delayed the divorce of his adulterous wife of exploiting his wife as a prostitute. And that such a thing is even, uh, uh, you know, possible in the imagination of the lawmakers is quite troubling. But if the man doesn't divorce his adulterous wife, then he must be prostituting her out. Astonishing, isn't it? Joseph really has to make up his mind fast on this one. It was just and righteous to divorce. Sacred vows had been violated. Marriage had been dishonored and cheapened. God's design for human flourishing has been dragged through the mud, the gutter of someone's sexual proclivities. So Joseph has to, to think, but he has to think quickly. Jews recognized three truths. First, they recognized that God ordained marriage. Marriage is a gift of God. It is an idea that comes from God. It is an institution given by God, and it is good. Secondly, God hates divorce. Divorce is not something to be spoken of lightly. It's not something to be trivialized. It's not something to be thrown about bandied about, you know, loose threats of divorce aren't cool, husbands and wives, when something is, is not particularly amenable to how you would like things. God hates divorce. It is not to be, it's so serious, it is not to be cheapened and trivialized. But thirdly, Jews recognize that God permits the very thing He hates and indeed provides righteous legislation for it in His law, God-breathed law, God-given law, when the marriage covenant is broken by adultery. And that's backed up again in the New Testament by Christ and the apostles. Indeed, God Himself initiated a divorce, they would have remembered. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8 says unequivocally, for all of the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a certificate of divorce. Sometimes it's just. Sometimes it is the righteous thing. Joseph is just. It says he was a just man. He will not allow the marriage covenant to be so disregarded. He will not allow for his household to bear such shame and disgrace. He will not allow for the burden of embracing one who had betrayed him in the worst of conceivable ways. Joseph is, is he's not, go, he's not about that life. Not going to do that. Not going there. 
but he's also unwilling to put Mary to shame. That tells us something about the character of this man. Justly, he had the right, under Old Covenant law, under Jewish law of his day, Roman law, and Greek law of his time, justly he had the right to divorce Mary through the normal channels publicly. Think about this. A public divorce would open a number of advantageous doors. He could legally, for example, claim her dowry. That is, any assets she brought with her into the marriage from her family. If he divorced her publicly, he could claim that. He could get that. He could impound it. It was his. Because he's the victim here. He's the one who's been wronged. Uh, he could reclaim the bride price that he himself had paid for her. So all of the, the, the list of things that he gave to uh, her family, to her extended family, Joseph could get that back if he went public. He would have been vindicated of any wrongdoing and freed to remarry. Her unfaithful character would have been exposed for the whole world to see. It would have brought shame to her and her family that would follow her in some way for the rest of her life, satisfy the indignities suffered by Joseph and his family who were put through all of this, and it would warn any sensible men off so that they wouldn't have to endure the emotional agony, deep embarrassment, and lasting trauma that Joseph was likely to have to deal with. Joseph could have absolutely rinsed her if he wanted. But being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. Wrath and mercy, justice and compassion. It's a plan. It might seem like a decent plan, but it wasn't to be. Because greater than our problems and greater than our plans is God's power. And that is, that's where this text heads. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That is, it, it is not s simply to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You remember that um, uh, John the Baptist, John ben Zacharias, was, was uh, said to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. But Jesus is not only to be filled with the Holy Spirit, He is from the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and so we have a little something here uh, of theology. And not only of theology, but particularly of um, pneumatology. That is, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Because if Jesus is from the Holy Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit is more than just some sort of force or power, but the Holy Spirit is a person equal to the Father and the Son within the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit is behind this child that has been created in the womb of Mary. 
she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And we have something there about anthropology. That is, uh, the, the, the doctrine of people, the doctrine of humanity. That, and specifically, we are told that God has people for Himself. He will save my people from their sins. He will save His people from their sins. God has people, anthropology, but also there's some hamartiology. That is, the doctrine of sin. Those people are sinners. God has people, but people are sinners. And not only is there uh, anthropology and hamartiology, but there's soteriology. God has people. Those people are sinners. But there is, there are sinners that need saving, and Jesus saves. That's good news. And, and so, so this man is in torment. What is, what is my betrothed gone and done? What's happened? And imagine the almost lunatic frustration when, when he, he discovers this. And she's, she's been a bit cagey about the details because, oh, I knew you'd, I knew you'd react this way. And, and she's like, it's from the Holy Spirit. And he's throwing stuff around and he's upset because what? what yeah. Tell me, did, 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 someone, did someone assault you? Was it the soldiers? What, what were it, the, the guy standing on the street corner? Was it them? Who, who did this? No, 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 it's the Holy, Holy Spirit. And he's just mental with rage. He goes home and he's thinking about how am I going to, to deal with this? What do I have to do to get this right? And then the angel of the Lord comes to him. It's amazing that he's sleeping anyway. You know, some guy, honestly, he's sleeping. But anyone who's had personal relationship trauma knows that that sleep is disturbed, knows that it's filled with tossing and turning and cold night sweats and um, uh, palpitations. And in the darkness of, of his darkest moment, an angel comes and gives him good news of one named Jesus that's in his betrothed's womb, that's made by the Holy Spirit, and that is there to save us from our sins. God's power. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So there's something there about our doctrine of Scripture, about scriptural authority, that, that the Word of God is true and living and active, and it proclaims the truth. The, 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 the prophet spoke, what? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us which is Christology. Who is Jesus? Who is the Christ? He is Emmanuel. He is God with us in every sense of the word. Fully God and fully man. 100% God, 100% man. At the same time, unique, just like us, but very unlike us. Tempted in every way as you and I are, but without sin. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. 
and he called his name Jesus. Of course, this relates the story from Joseph's perspective. Luke tells it from Mary's. It's interesting that we're told far more of Mary's response to the angel and interactions around the birth. Uh, while there's much that Mary did not know, she knew from the beginning that her child was from the Holy Spirit. She knew that Jesus would save his people from their sins. Did she know how? It's not recorded if she did. Did she know all that that entailed? Did she know that the events of his life and ministry? Absolutely not. There's much that she pondered over, that she thought deeply about. There are moments of confusion and parental angst. But she knew he was from the Holy Spirit. And she knew he would save his people from their sins. In fact, Mary knew before Joseph knew. And uh, Joseph had to catch up. One wonders, going over to Mary, what was going through her mind when she finally laid baby Jesus in the manger and sat there in the hay, stroking baby Jesus' face, his first caught a animal slop trough that they had cleaned out and made do with. The past months had been a whirlwind, a roller coaster of emotions, dealing with the news, how she would break it, Joseph's response, the fear of the unknown, the normal Hormonal processes of pregnancy and child growth within the womb. The journey to Bethlehem to satisfy something that seems like it falls far down the list of you know, priorities, but they have to be there to register for a tax. Not something they particularly enjoy. It's not a pleasure trip. It's the most inconvenient of times. And these are the darkest of days. This wasn't at all what Mary would have envisioned. But I mean, seriously, who could have envisioned it in that way? We, we might say, well, the prophets, but not in that detail. Let, let's be honest. The prophets told us certain details. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and... They'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. But some of the details were totally by surprise. We're told that Mary pondered these things and she treasured them in her heart. What is all of this? What does it mean? Where is it headed? She soaked it all up under the shadow of the empire in a land afflicted by spiritual and political oppressions of different kinds. She saw this little baby, just as some of you have seen your babies or other people's babies, fragile, weak, foolish, nothing. Just 
a baby utterly helpless, wrapped in cloths and put in a feeding trough. This is not a promising start. He who has mighty has done a great thing, Mary sang when the child was still in her womb. But this isn't the stuff of greatness. Hagar could say, I have seen the God who sees me. But Mary, knowing what she knew, could say, I have held the God who saves me. Sarah could say, God has made me laugh. But Mary could say, God my Savior, the mighty one whose name is holy, has done great things for me. He's shown multi-generational mercy. He's done mighty deeds with His arm. He's scattered the proud. He's toppled the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted the lowly. He's satisfied the hungry. He sent the rich away empty. He's helped His servant Israel. He's remembered long-promised eternal mercy. The wife of Manoah could offer sacrifices to the Lord, the God who works wonders. But Mary could say that her son is the God who works wonders incarnate, come to offer once and for all sacrifice for us. Bathsheba could appeal to David when things were looking a bit dicey. Didn't you promise that Solomon would be king and sit on the throne? And when her request was granted, she said, May my Lord King David live forever. But of course, David didn't live forever. And neither did Solomon, her son. Mary could say, I didn't have to go to God about my son and about whether or not he would be king. God, through his angel, came to me. I didn't make an appeal to, 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 to God to make me a promise. God made me a promise. He, he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Elizabeth could say, God is gracious and has taken away my disgrace from among the people. Mary could say, God is gracious, so gracious that He has made a way through my Son to take away the disgrace of all people who believe in Him. Abraham said, we are too old. Manoah said, we don't know what to do with the child. David said, My son is young and inexperienced. How will he build a temple unto the Lord? Zechariah said, how, how, how shall I know this since we're both too old? 
Joseph said, Mary's pregnant and it's not mine. I'm going to end this marriage before it gets started. But overruling all of these doubtful dads, a loving father in heaven who says, you will have a son and you will call his name Ishmael. God hears. Because God has listened to the cry of the afflicted Egyptian slave woman, Hagar. Isaac, he laughs because louder than the scoffing laughs of people is the sovereign laughter of God. Samson, man of the sun, sunshine, because no matter how dark the night and ugly the crying, divine sunshine is coming in the morning, and with it, joy. Solomon, man of peace, because the blood of the slain, heroes and villains alike, will not forever water the earth. It will not forever cry out condemnation against those who have shed it. But there is a king who is gentle and lowly in heart, who will build a temple for God in which the weary will find rest for their souls. John, God is gracious because those who wander will not always be lost. Valleys will be filled. Mountains and hills will be made low. Crooked paths will be made straight. Rough places will be made smooth. And all flesh will see the salvation of the Lord. Jesus, Savior. Because these other men saved perhaps their moms, perhaps their fathers, perhaps their people from various things that were unpleasant, uncomfortable, or oppressive. But Jesus will save His people from their sins. And that's why above all of the stories that we've been telling this season, I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. That's why the prayers of our hearts should be, tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest, that ever was heard. And as we hear the story of Jesus, we respond, there is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in mine ear. The sweetest name on earth. It tells me of a Savior's love who died to set me free. It tells me of His precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea. And we all respond, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love, not Ishmael, not Isaac, not Samson, not Solomon, not John. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because He first loved me. May the Lord bless you with the knowledge and experience of the love of Jesus Christ this Christmas season. 
Amen.